0: Okay, guys, we're uh, we're progressing right along in our study in 1 John. We're in lesson 8 now. And John, up until this point, has been talking about, really, you need to examine your life. And if, if this is not true in your life, then you're possibly not a believer and so forth. But now when we get to verse 18 through 23, he's going to shift the focus a little bit to talk about false teachers... Or what he describes as antichrist. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And we want to focus on what he's saying here. So if you'll notice with me verses 18 through 23. Let's look at these verses together in chapter 2 of 1 John. Little children. So again he begins the passage again. Little children. It is the last hour. And you have heard that the antichrist is coming. Even now many antichrists have come by, which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is in, no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Who has a, he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Okay, so basically what we're going to do is we're going to look at these verses. You know, we're going to look at, uh, we can basically take them into sections. The first thing is we're going to see is the time, the timing of what's going on here. So, first of all, John tells his readers that it's the last hour. It's the last hour. Now, let me just kind of help you a little bit here, because in the Scripture, whenever it talks about timing, especially with, with reference to the end times, Our tendency is to want to take things literal, but sometimes what he's using here is figurative language. And so in this instance, he's using figurative language. Because the last hour refers to the time before Jesus' second coming. The last hour refers to the time before Jesus' second coming. So, so far, he wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. What we're looking at here is, is that we're talking about a time frame that we don't really know. We just need to know it's the last hour. It's, at some point it's going to happen is what the whole the point of the word that's being used here. And, but the reference is, is that we know that we're living in the time right before, this is the point he's making here, we're living in the time right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, he also wants to remind them that it's not just the last hour, but he wants to remind them about another key point concerning that coming. And that is, John reminds them that they have heard that the Antichrist is coming. They've heard that the Antichrist is coming. So, how many of you have heard of the Antichrist? You probably know the prophecies, you've heard somebody speak on the prophecies. From the very beginning of of the church at Pentecost... Even into the Old Testament, if you go to the prophet Daniel, there are prophecies that talk about one who is coming. He's not a godly man. He's anti-God. He's going to be used of Satan. He's going to oppress the believers of the world. This is Antichrist. Okay? This is Antichrist. Now, here's the problem, though. Let me just stop for a moment. The problem has been when we try to identify who Antichrist is. What do you mean by that, George? Well, you know, I've been a believer now 28 years. And in that 28 years, I have heard numerous, numerous predictions as to who the Antichrist is. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. For instance, one of the earlier ones that I became aware of is that Ronald Wilson Reagan was the Antichrist. And the reason why, would you like to know the reason why? Well, first of all, he was the president. Actually, all of the presidents have been, somebody has predicted that they've been the Antichrist. But Ronald Wilson Reagan was predicted to be the Antichrist for one other reason, and that's because his name, Ronald Wilson Reagan, each of his names has six letters. So, I mean, that's a stretch, well, the problem with that prophecy is, is you know, that Ronald Reagan is what? Dead. Here's another one. John Paul II has been predicted to be the Antichrist. Here's a more recent one. I just saw this. This is not in a Christian poll. This was in a secular poll. It might have been Gallup or the Pew Center for Research. And they, they are saying that one in four Americans believe that Obama is the Antichrist. They're probably all Republicans, okay? Uh, but you, you know what I'm saying. So, uh, you know, th- this is my point. We've got to be careful with our predictions concerning who the Antichrist is. During World War II, who was predicted to be the Antichrist? Adolf Hitler. Mao Zedong. They've all been predicted. Now, the issue isn't That we need to sit around and try to figure out who he is. Because that's what we want to, you know, when it comes to prophecy, Christians like to sit around and figure out what what does it mean. The issue isn't trying to figure out what it's mean. You need to be aware that there is one who's coming. That's the issue. The issue is that you need to be aware that there is going to be a future world ruler who is anti-God and he's coming. That's the point John's making, wanting to make you aware of here. He's saying, it's the last hour, and you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. But he goes on and says something else. He states that even now there are many Antichrists. So he's going to take it one level down. He's talk about there's, a, there's this big guy who's coming. He's the Antichrist. But even now, there are many Antichrists. Many antichrists. Now, what, what do we know about these antichrists? Well, here's what we're gathering from John's letter, is, is that these antichrists are similar to the antichrist who must come. Now, the similarity is not, we immediately think, okay, well, yeah, well, if there are antichrists among us, well, Adolf Hitler must have been, yeah, he's a type of an antichrist. Mao Tse Tung, type of an Antichrist. Paul Pot from Cambodia with the Khmer Rouge, a type of Antichrist. You know, so you could say these world leaders, but, but John, what you're going to see here, his definition of this small a Antichrist is actually a lot broader than us. We would look at it as some type of world ruler. His definition is a lot broader as far as who the ant, what are antichrists. What do you mean, George? Well, look with me. I want you to know, look at verse 22. This is his definition of what antichrist is. He is antichrist who denies the father and the son. So his definition is a little bit broader as far as the many types of Antichrist that we have now. Do you understand? He's saying if there's anyone who denies the Father and the Son, he is what? A type of Antichrist. So for instance, you could now add into that a whole bunch of cult leaders. What do you mean? Okay, how many remember Jim Jones from the mid, from the late 70s? And, and, and the, and the, and the massacre of all those people, the mass poisoning and so forth, he was a type of what? Antichrist. Why? Because he claimed to be God. David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. It's been 20 years now. Just had, they just had the 20th anniversary of that, that whole episode. He was another one who, what, would be considered a type of Antichrist. Why? Because he himself claimed to be God. In fact, I was interesting. I read an article recently about the Branch Davidians, they're, you know, the ones that survived the whole episode, do you know what they're doing now? They're still holding on, and guess what they're waiting for? For Yeah, for David Koresh to come back. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So here's what I want you to see see right now with me, is that antichrists or anything that's anti-God that deny the Father and the Son. So he's saying now, that these Antichrists are similar to the one who's coming. Now, the one who's coming is going to be the world ruler at one point. He's going to be far beyond. We, We know a lot more about him from Daniel. We know a lot more about him from Revelation. But here's what John's point is. The Antichrist figures show that we are in the last hour. He's saying because of these folks who deny the deity of Jesus and, and the Godhead. We know. We can be assured that we are living in the last hour. That's his point here in verse eighteen. Look at what he says there. Even now, many antichrists have come, and look what he says. That interesting word there. By which we know that it is the last hour. So because of the the we we have among us these antichrists. We know John is saying. That we're in the last hour. So then he moves himself now to talk about these antichrists, which basically, can I be honest with you, are what he would refer to as false teachers. Verse 19 gives us a little bit more understanding about these false teachers. And you're going to be, I think you're going to be interested in this. Maybe shocked, actually. Okay? And here's the point he's making. John states that the false teachers came from within the church. They came... From within the church. Notice the word he uses here. They went out from us. So these these are folks who these these types of Antichrist, these false teachers that he's talking about here, actually were among us at one point. And they went out from us, is what he's saying. In fact, throughout the New Testament, you will hear that often, that these false teachers start out in the church, they start out like anybody else, they start out great. But the problem is, they go off to their own, I mean, they're not really a part of us, and they go off on their own. And so you look at all of the false teachers, let's just take America. I mean, there, there are false teachers all over the world. I mean, I was just recently told of a false teacher in China who has who, who says he's God well yeah I've heard of that I've heard one in Korea I've heard one in Kenya we have them here in the United States do you understand and thousands of people follow them but let's talk about the United States for a moment when you look at some of the major cults that have emerged in our country you can trace back their roots to the church did you understand what I'm saying okay we've mentioned Jim Jim Jones, we mentioned David Korsh. We take Joseph Smith for a minute. You take the Jehovah Witnesses. All of that has emerged not just on its own. Why? Because for instance with every one of those, they have some basis in the Bible. Now where do they get a basis in the Bible at? Because they came out from among us. They came out from the church. All right? so they started out from among us now here's what else he says john states that if they were truly saved they would not have left the church so his whole point is they're not even belo- they don't even belong to us look at what he says but if they were not but they were not of us if they had been with us they would have continued with us so the whole point is is if they had been truly saved they would have never left the church they would have never never have gone off and been propagating their false teaching So he talks about the reality there, that if they had been truly saved, they would not have left. In fact, he goes one step further and says, the fact that they did leave shows us something. The fact that they left shows us that they were not a part of the church. There's a greater general point here I need you to understand. And it's especially hard for for churches that were within our circle of, of belief in churches And that is, you know, when we embrace eternal security, we like to think that everybody's saved. If they've made a profession, if they walked an aisle, if they got baptized, they're okay. But then over the years, like I've been a believer now 28 years. Some of you have been a believer longer than I have. You've seen people leave the church and never come back, period. In fact, become antagonistic towards the faith. John's whole definition here is, is, we've already seen what he said earlier about that. If they're living that way, they're prob- the truth is not in them; they're not a part of the church. He's going one step further here and saying, "Look, the evidence that they're not, a, you know, the evidence that they're not a part of shows that they were not a part of us is because they left and never came back." So, you know, if you've got a loved one who, who twenty years ago went to church and made a profession, but since then has not cared or is almost antagonistic towards the faith or whatever. You can't say that they're saved. Do you, know, do you, know I mean? do you understand? It's not your place to tell them they're saved. Their life evidences whether or not they are. And so he's saying about these false teachers: Hey, they were once among us, and if they had stayed with us, they would have been okay. They would have if they, but they went off on their own, and the fact that they went off on their own proves that they were not part of us. So he goes on now, and he wants to talk about you and I. So he wants to help qualify. You notice how John does it? He he lays a big hammer down. He lays a big whammy down. Like, oh, how could he say that? Okay? But then he always follows it up with an affirmation of where you're at. Did you understand what I'm saying? He wants you to consider where others are at, and if they're not right, and maybe even consider yourself, But then he always follows it up. You've noticed we've seen this so far as we're going through this book. He always follows it up with an affirmation. If you truly know Jesus, here's here's what we can say about you. So here's what he's saying. He first of all says that believers have the anointing from the Holy Spirit. Believers have the anointing from the Holy Spirit. But look what he says. And the way he says it, It's an affirmation statement. But you have the anointing from the Holy One. You have the anointing. What's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in life. When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, and you truly believed, and you were truly saved... God's Holy Spirit entered into your life. He became the seal. The guarantee is what Ephesians would say. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. And so what happens is here now, he's he's trying to affirm you. He's saying, okay, yeah, we know about these guys, these false teachers. They were once a part of us, but they left us. And the fact that they left us is evidence that they were not a part of us. But you have received the anointing. Did you understand? You've received the Holy Spirit. And because of this now, believers know all things concerning truth. Believers know all things concerning truth. Okay, let me give you help you understand what he's saying here. I'll give you an example from my life. I didn't become a believer until 1985. Before that time, I had exposure to the Bible here and there. Uh, maybe even read it, occasionally, different plans. I'm going to be honest with you, I did not understand anything. Did not comprehend. After I became a Christian, and I began to read the Bible, I had an understanding now, that I didn't have before. Where did that come from? Anybody? Where did that come from? Yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit. Because you have an unregenerated mind before salvation, but when you come to Christ, He opens your mind to understand His Word. He speaks to you through His Word. Before that, no no clue. I've I've heard that many times. I remember I like to listen to NPR, National Public Radio, and I remember this was probably about five or six years ago. They had a they had a lawyer on there who represented PETA, and he was a PETA guy. Everybody know what PETA is. People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. Maybe tasty vegetables. I think they're vegetarians. But uh, well, anyhow, he's on there, and he made it. He, I couldn't, I mean, he was talking about PETA, and who really cares? Give me, bring on the next segment, okay? But then I had, I had to stop for a moment because he said something very interesting. He said, I've read the entire Bible. Two or three times, he said. But it makes no sense to me. And I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, you just validated the whole point. What John is making here, even in this passage, you have the anointing from the Holy One. Look at what it says there, verse, verse 20. And you know all things. The basis for our knowing all things is because we have what? The anointing. We have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so he gives you understanding. He gives you understanding. Okay? Now, look then now. He tells us the purpose. Verse 21. Why is he writing this? I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, because you know it. And there and that no lie is of the truth. So why is he writing them? First of all, he's writing them again. He's again look at this as affirmation here. He's he's writing them because they know the truth. He's saying, You guys know the truth. You understand it. This is the reason why I'm writing to you. So it's not like you're going to sit there and reject what I'm saying, John, saying because you know the truth, you understand what I'm saying. Does everybody understand? Okay. And, and here's the point he's making. The truth has no lie in it. The truth has no lie in it. Now, that's very really hard for us in our postmodern age. Do you know what I'm saying? Because in our postmodern age, truth is whatever truth is to you. Do you know what I mean? You know, if you want to say that two plus two is five, well, you know, okay, that's okay. That's, that's your truth. You know what I'm saying? And, and your truth may not agree with my truth, but we're going we're to coexist together okay. All right? So truth is relative. But John is saying, no, no, truth is absolute. Because in truth, there is no lie. There's no lie in truth. In fact, he wants to take that whole aspect of there not being any lie in truth, and he wants to bring it right back around to the whole issue of these false teachers and of these antichrists. So look with me at verse 22 and 23. Look at what he says there. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the Messiah? He is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So let me just stop for a minute. Let's go on there. What are we saying here? First of all, denial. Those who deny the truth are liars and do not have God. Okay, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If you have Jesus, if you have accepted Jesus, you've received what? The anointing. And with anointing comes what? An understanding of what? Truth. Truth. Now, if you take somebody who denies the deity of Jesus, and you take someone who denies the Godhead, finds that all to be false, John's basically saying he's a liar. So he's talking about the false prophet who's teaching. He's lying because he doesn't know what he's talking about. And number two, what he doesn't have God. That's the thing he's saying here. Those who deny are liars as they proclaim whatever they're proclaiming. Because they're not proclaiming the truth, and they don't have God. Because if you had God, if you have his anointing, you're going to understand what? Truth. And what's ultimately the truth, folks? Jesus Christ and his salvation, and that he is God. That's the point he's making here. In fact, he goes one step further, and he says, Those who acknowledge, notice what he says. The point here of understanding truth is that you and I need to acknowledge one particular person. Who's that person? Jesus. Okay, look at what it says there, verse 23. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So those who acknowledge the Son have God the Father. That's reality. If I acknowledge in faith the deity of Jesus Christ, his finished work, who he is, the supremacy of Christ in this world, in this universe, then I have the Son. I mean, I have the Father. But and think about that. Now, that just makes sense. Why does that make sense, George? Because it is the anointing that gives me the understanding to what? Acknowledge who Jesus is. So does everybody understand that? So, okay, let me help you how you can pray for somebody here. All of us here have loved ones who don't know Jesus Christ, that we want them to know Jesus Christ, right? Okay? And and they just don't get it. They just don't see it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You talk to them until you're blue in the face, and it's like your words are on that wall and they're bouncing off. Know what I'm talking about? What we know is, is that... Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul tells us that, that our gospel, the message of Jesus, is not veiled, but that the God of this world has what? Blinded them. So when I read a passage like this, and it tells me that we have an anointing, and therefore we know the truth. Those who don't know the truth are liars, but if we acknowledge the Son, we have the truth, we have the Father. What that tells me is, is that it's the anointing, it's, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us understanding. So how can I pray for my unsaved loved ones? Holy Spirit, open their eyes. Holy Spirit, convict them of their sin. In fact, isn't that what Jesus said? If you go back to John chapter, I think, 14, maybe it's chapter 16, he talks about that the role of the Spirit when he comes, the Comforter, is to convince or convict the world. The word convict there means also convince. And the reality of what Jesus, the Holy Spirit's role is, is to convince the world, the unsaved, of righteousness and the judgment to come, is to convince people about who Jesus is. So that, that helps me to know how to pray. I'm going to, I'm praying according to the will of God. God, you are the only one who can open their eyes to see the truth. Open their eyes. Lord, as I speak to them, you speak through me. Give them understanding. Because they can't see it without you. Do you understand? Okay. Anybody got any questions? As we look at this section here. Any questions about the Antichrist issue or Antichrist and his definition of what Antichrists are? Issue concerning the truth? Yeah, Ralph. Ultimately, his disagreement would be, his line is, is right here in verse 21. John's the Apostles, he is Antichrist, and this is what he's defining as Antichrist, who denies the Father, that's God the Father, and the Son, which is Jesus. So what that is, is a denial of the Godhead as he would teach it that's what antichrist is that's his definition so okay anybody else yes they would reject that yes yeah so he's saying that the, in particular, these false teachers were from from within us. They were exposed to grace and the lies of others. They maybe didn't experience it themselves because they weren't saved, okay? But and so, but they would have been exposed to the truths of who Jesus is, what he's done, of the Godhead, God's order of things, everything. Now, and and people have their different reasons for coming to church, Denny. You, you know what I'm saying? Some people come to church because it's where my grandmama went to church. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I've met people like that who go to church and who have no clue, no understanding. You've met folks like that. But that wouldn't be the definition of an anti-Christ. The anti-Christ would be so Who denies... yeah the, the point the definition of Antichrist that John is giving here in verse uh, 20, um, 22 is the one who denies the deity of Jesus Christ. That's the issue when you talk about denying the deity of Jesus Christ. Now why is that so foundational? Well, you, you've got to understand that that's a key component to the whole issue of the sacrifice. Because there could only be one person to make the sacrifice for your sin. Because it couldn't be a human being. You can't do anything for it. The only one person who could pay the penalty for our sin is God himself. Okay? God himself. So the whole issue of salvation is acknowledging the gospel is that God came among us. In fact, isn't that what was pronounced in the beginning? And his name shall be called what? Emmanuel, meaning what? God with us? The issue is his deity. Everything else doesn't make sense unless you understand that Jesus Christ is God. Now, if you deny that, deny the Father, he's saying you're antichrist. Okay. Now, this is a broad definition. He's saying we know that the Antichrist, don't confuse the Antichrist with the definition of Antichrist that he's giving us here. The Antichrist is anti-God, anti-Jesus, world ruler, oppresses the people of God, oppresses Israel, but that's yet in the future. Do, Do you understand what I'm saying? We understand that. The prophecies are pointing to him coming. But he's saying, but we also know that we live in the last hour because of the many antichrists, which he tells us in verse 22, are those who deny Jesus. Okay? Those who deny Jesus. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you an example of a guy uh, that I'm talking about. Uh, there was a guy, he's now dead, but in the late 1940s, he was probably considered a better preacher and a better evangelist than uh, Billy Graham. His name was, he was a Canadian evangelist by the name of Chuck Templeton. How many of you ever heard of Chuck Templeton? Okay. Chuck Templeton was probably, he probably was, he had a greater mind. He educated at Princeton. And what ended up happening was, is he ended up drifting away to the point that right in the last years before his death, he basically denied everything. He basically turned agnostic towards atheist. That is a definition of somebody who was among us, who left us. And he definitely fits this definition because he ended up denying, rejecting, refuting the deity of Jesus Christ. That is the small a antichrist. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you could probably think, you know, I've been around 28 years in, in, in Christian circles you could probably think that you have come across people like that yourself. It doesn't have to be somebody as significant as Chuck Templeton, but you could think back to maybe people that you've gone to church with, and then all of a sudden they're so anti, anti anti-everything. That's Antichrist. That's what the point he's making here. Okay? Anybody else with a question? No questions? Okay, we're going to continue on next week. Let's go on with verse 24. And he's going to talk again about that anointing. He's going to talk about Christ or the Holy Spirit abiding in you. So again, he's going to follow up his heavy section now with an affirmation of what, what do we do with it? What do we need to do? So we're going to see that next week.